coming up next in this episode. Whatever your perspective on viruses is, it's still more of an immune system problem than a virus problem. The main reason they're problems is because of all the other factors we talk about, the toxic burden and the food we eat and the stress that we are dealing with these days. Never is it one thing causes one thing. It's always multi-causational. If you go after anything with a perspective like, oh, I'll do this one thing to treat it and that'll be it, then you're missing the boat and you gotta come after it in many different ways. Welcome to The Flow with Kelly Kennedy. I am your host, and I am just so honored to share the time and space today with my new good friend, Dr. Eric, who is a thyroid expert. And I met Eric through a mutual friend of ours. And what I, I mean, in no disrespect, Dr. Eric, um, what I'm very clear on in regards to um, Dr. Osansky, did I pronounce your last name right? Because it's not yeah, the Yeah, you, you, you yeah. got it. I mean, it's exactly how it looks, but you know, I, I, I'll probably call him Dr. Eric just so it doesn't trip over my tongue. But thyroid is an organ that I know I've spent a lot of time investigating because of the thermography tests I do and understanding temperature. But, you know, in all the time, as you know, on the flow, we talk about the whole body as a holistic being, but it is time to talk about some details. And we're going to go through some basics because Dr. Eric is a thyroid expert. But I want him to tell you a little bit about his background and how he got here. So first of all, welcome to the show, Eric, and thank you for your time today. Yeah, thank you so much, Kelly. Very excited to be here and talk about the hour. So you're a doctor of chiropractic physician, right? And I see that you've done all sorts of training, you know, from Freddie Uland to uh, there was something else I looked at recently. I was like, oh, he did that, like all the things. How did you get there? I mean, you were a straight chiropractor. How did I become a chiropractor in the first place? Yeah, how did you become a chiropractor? Then how did you get into more functional chiropractic that you're doing now? I got into chiropractic. Just it was definitely not on my radar when I was younger. I was actually went into college, going to be an accountant. And then I got my degree in psychology. But just like a lot of other people, I had my own health journey. In this case, I hurt my back. And at that time, I just thought chiropractic was about neck and back pain and realized it was a lot more than that, even prior to going to chiropractic school, but especially when in chiropractic school. And so, yeah, so I hurt my back, went to chiropractic, got amazing results, and was taught that chiropractic is about the nervous system, control the whole body, not just neck and back pain. It was just, just found it fascinating. And so I decided to go to chiropractic school, which was in Marietta, Georgia. And, and yeah, so, and then once I graduated, I was just, for the most part, practicing straight chiropractic, I guess you could say. I, I always did have an interest in nutrition. And eventually, when going through my continuing education credits, I gravitated towards the nutrition and functional medicine classes to get my credits. And just because I found those to be fascinated as well. And then I developed hyperthyroidism in 2008 and didn't know a whole lot about it. I mean, obviously we learned some of it in chiropractic school and go, but one of those seminars, actually a couple of seminars were functional endocrinology seminars. And so they of course spoke about thyroid. And so I knew there were alternatives like what hyperthyroidism, typically when you go to an endocrinologist, they either want to give you anti-thyroid medication. They want to give you what's called radioactive iodine, pretty much obliterating the thyroid gland or they want to cut it out, thyroid surgery. And I didn't like any of those options, uh, but I knew from attending the seminars, the conferences, that there was an 
option. Again, I wasn't too familiar with it. My experience was my real first experience. And so I just decided to take a natural approach was like, okay, I'm not completely opposed to taking a medication, but let's try it with the herbs and try avoiding the medication. Obviously we didn't want anything to do with the radioactive iodine or thyroid surgery. And thankfully the, the herbs helped to manage the symptoms. And then I did things to address the cost of the problem. We could talk about that, obviously made dietary changes and other lifestyle changes, stress management. And yeah, then I just, I realizing that there's so many others with thyroid, thyroid conditions out there that I decided to start helping others with hyperthyroidism, hypothyroidism. And yeah, and that, that pretty much in a nutshell is my story. And, and I appreciate you telling your story the way you did. You did beautifully. And I want to say and share with everybody listening that, again, here's another practitioner that was studying, doing all the right things, and all of a sudden has some symptoms, goes to a allopathic doctor, does a blood test, and goes, what do you mean I have hyperthyroidism? Okay, let me look at it. And just, I'm not totally opposed. I love that. But I'm, I want to find another option. As you found the other option, you, like me, became aware of how many people's thyroids. I mean, I, I've been practicing, we've we've had a practice for 18 years in Pennsylvania, and I know you're in North Carolina, for those that are looking for his brick and mortar, it's in North Carolina. But um, when we first started taking history intakes on the phone 18 years ago, I'd say about 50% of the people mentioned their thyroid, right? Some kind of diagnosis with a thyroid. The last 10 years... I find it unusual if they don't mention that they have been diagnosed with a thyroid problem. Like I'm like, and so what they tell you about your thyroid is it hypo hyper or do you have, um, you know, antibodies? Like what's going on? Because more than likely, and there's reasons behind that from a regulatory perspective. But this is why this is the first organ that's gotten its highlight stage here on the flow because the thyroid is so. It's such a sensitive, beautiful regulatory organ, but it is taken a beating. So let's, I would like to though, for those listening, whether you're a practitioner or not, let's go through the basic physiology of that thyroid. What does the thyroid do? What is it responsible for? And why do you find that the thyroid has been so um, like in the news? I don't really, but you know, so prevalent in the health histories of the symptomology that clients are dealing with. We both know it's not causative. Thyroid isn't the cause of the problem. The thyroid is the result of the causes like you figured out with your own case. But if you could just speak to that, that would be great. Just some basics and then like what you see of, of happening and why it's become the thyroid is the first problem for most clients. Sure. Uh, so thyroid hormone, it Pretty much we relate it with the metabolism of the body, but I mean, it goes further than that. It controls every, pretty much every cell tissue organ in the body. And so if you have too much thyroid, like I did, that's not a good thing. Everything speeds up. You might lose weight. I lost 42 pounds when I was dealing with hyperthyroidism and had tremors and increased resting heart rate and increased appetite. Again, everything that goes along with the increase in thyroid hormone. And then when you get that decrease in thyroid hormone, again, it slows down the metabolism. So you might gain weight, you might have coldness, you might have brain fog, constipation, and uh, and it's definitely more common to have low thyroid than, than elevated thyroid hormones. 
And so, yeah, it plays a big role in metabolism. But like I said, it controls all the systems in the body. So if you have, like, for example, a low thyroid hormone, it could also affect like the kidneys. So, like you might look, do a conference of metabolic panel and see those kidney markers not be where they need to be. If you do a lipid panel, you might see high cholesterol and the doctor will be like, your medical doctor will say, well, let's give you a statin, but maybe not look deep into the thyroid. And it might be because the thyroid is not optimal that the cholesterol is too high or too low if you have hyperthyroidism. What does the thyroid have to do with cholesterol? Let's just break it down for them a little bit. Yeah, well, again, it's cholesterol. Yeah, so that's uh, opening up a can of worms when it comes to cholesterol, because again, you know, what's the importance of cholesterol? And cholesterol, actually more important when it comes to the sex hormones, it's a precursor to uh, the sex hormones. Uh, it's a precursor to pregnenolone. So pregnenolone goes through two different pathways. One goes to DHEA, which is an adrenal hormone, and that leads to testosterone, which leads to the estrogens. And then the other pathway leads to cortisol uh, or pr progesterone, which converts into cortisol. So if you have too little cholesterol, then you're not going to sufficiently produce these other hormones. So it doesn't directly relate to thyroid hormone in that respect, but thyroid hormone affects the metabolism of cholesterol. So if you have, again, let's say you have too little thyroid hormone, or let's say you have too much thyroid hormone. So again, in case of hyperthyroidism, speeds it up, cholesterol will get lower. And again, you might get lower in these other hormones. You might have low sex hormones. You might have, again, low, low cortisol over time. If you have elevated thyroid hormones, again, hypothyroidism, as I mentioned, you could have elevated cholesterol because it's, again, your, your body's not breaking down the cholesterol. The same thing with the LDL, which is a so-called bad cholesterol, but we know that there's no, no really good bad, you know, it's every, everything in balance. Right. Exactly. So, so yeah, it really with cholesterol, the problem is if the doctors give a statin to lower the cholesterol levels, and that could have a negative effect, not necessarily on thyroid, but on the sex hormones and on cortisol. But thyroid, if you have thyroid dysfunction, it could also directly, like I said, it, it'll affect cholesterol, but it could affect cortisol as well. Uh, I mean, you know, again, there's this whole whole connection here. Um, but like I said, it, it affects, you know, the kidneys, it affects the liver. You know, we, we spoke, uh, Kelly was on my podcast. So she of course spoke about the proximity of the lymph nodes in the neck with the thyroid and how the lymphatics could affect the thyroid, but also the thyroid, uh, malfunctioning thyroid gland could affect the lymphatics as well. And then obviously, I mean, it could go to thyroid cancer, which is, you know, goes through the lymph nodes. And so, so again, it's very We'll talk about basics. I don't want to get too complex, but it can get complex. And, you know, unfortunately, most medical doctors, again, they, a lot of times they overlook thyroid because it might be within the lab range, but not within an optimal range. And like I said, it could affect all these bodily systems, the kidneys, the, you know, the, the kidneys, cholesterol. Unfortunately, they don't look at lymphatics so of the lymphatic, you know, so they, so, but, you well, know, the look at these other markers. The thyroid has been called the regulatory organ of the body. You know, and it it regulates your temperature. It regulates your digestion, right? It regulates. Um, oh, yeah. And temperature digestion is pretty much a lot. I mean, the body's going to change temperature before it turns a cell over. 
So, you know, temperature is very sensitive. And a lot of people with thyroid symptoms will deal with cold hands, cold feet, or I can never get warm, or I'm always, you know, I'm always too hot or something wrong with their temperature, right? It doesn't balance. It's not what you said before. It doesn't balance. So, and, and thinning hair doesn't have a lot to do with our hair and our nails and how our body um, processes. So the word metabolite, I want to bring, the, I mean, I, Dr. Eric, bring things very simple because we learn science, but a lot of people listening to this don't even understand when we say the words like, well, the thyroid has to, or the liver has to metabolize so that it can, it means break it down, right? It means break it down into smaller components so it can be used to make other things. So it's like I take a loaf of bread and I break it back down into flour and eggs and bad analogy, Kelly doesn't know how to make bread. I don't know. What else is in bread? Flour and eggs and water probably, right? And yeast. So you've got those ingredients in bread. A metabolite would be take the bread and break it down right? So that then the body can take the flour and the eggs and the water and use them in other ways to build things up again, right? That's the body. It breaks things down, takes the parts and reuses the parts for other things. And the thyroid controls a lot of that. Like he was saying, with your liver, with your kidneys, with your lymph, which are your drainage remedies. So it's very fascinating to me how the liver, I mean, the thyroid is so connected to all of the drainage. And as you mentioned, that 20% of our lymph is in our neck and the thyroid's in the middle of it. So now I'm going to ask, so basics of thyroid. A lot of people, when they go, they get labs, then they go to the endocrinologist because then the GP says, oh, you're, if, if the GP says, oh, cholesterol is your problem or kidneys is your problem, let's go further and investigate some other markers maybe in another panel and see a thyroid issue. Oh, now I'm going to send you to a specialist, an endocrinologist, if they're smart enough. But I think your point, too, is don't take whatever symptom you're dealing with, if it's your kid, if your kidneys, your heart, your digestion, your lymph, and don't not look at your thyroid, right? Because that could be an underlying issue that they're treating a heart problem, they're treating a, a kidney problem, when in fact it's a thyroid problem. No, that's exactly right. M many times you go in for a physical these days and they just do the basics. And one of those basics is looking at cholesterol, but many times they don't look at thyroid or they just look at what's called TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone, which is actually a pituitary hormone, not a thyroid hormone. And again, there's the lab reference range and there's the optimal reference range. And so ideally optimal would be between one and 1.5. Some would say, but some will, will say between one and 1.1 1. 1 and 2.0. And like, let's say, for example, someone had a TSH of three, most doctors would just dismiss it. Oh, you know, no problem with the thyroid, but that could be enough to cause the cholesterol to increase, to cause the filtration rate uh, when looking at a metabolic panel related to the kidneys to decrease. And again, the doctor won't do anything to, to further evaluate the thyroid, but they will, they won't hesitate to give the person a statin or in the case of the kidneys, it depends how bad it might not be that bad. And they'll just like blow it off or just say, well, let's keep an eye on it. Um, but yeah, the thyroid definitely gets neglected. And like I said, they, uh, many doctors look at TSH, which is, as I mentioned, a pituitary hormone and you know, the thyroid gland. A lot of people refer to it as the master gland, but then there's the pituitary. So that's and really the, the true master. 
What was that? <laughs> And the hypothalamus. Exactly, exactly. So yeah, the, the hypothalamus needs to communicate with the pituitary, which communicates to the thyroid. And then obviously the pituitary also communicates with the adrenals and the sex hormones. So in some cases, it might be a pituitary problem. And I mean, maybe they could detect that by looking at TSH alone. But but again, you definitely want to look at the whole picture. So yeah, I, I recommend looking at TSH. I look at, recommend looking at the thyroid hormones, and we could talk more about the different thyroid hormones if you want. There's free yeah. T4. Yeah, so free T4 is the main thyroid hormone that's produced by the thyroid gland, and the reason it's called free T4 or, or T4, um, actually, we, we could differentiate. There's total T4 and free T4. Free T4 is the, the free hormone. Actually, most of the thyroid hormone most hormones in general are bound to a protein. So like when they just test T4, also known as thyroxin, uh, that's most of it bound to a protein, like 99%. And then a small percentage is free, free T4. Free and means that, really not bound, meaning it's free to connect with something else in the body because it has all these other actions that we talked about, which creates me your metabolism, which is exactly. the ability of your body to take action. That's what a metabolism is, your ability yep. of your body to take action. So by having enough T4, the body can take action. Exactly. Yeah. Actually, actually T4- Free, it's not bound. Yeah. If it's bound, it's busy. That's like the mom that's yeah. got a kid on each hip. She doesn't have any time to deal with anybody. It's bound. Versus a yep. mom that's walking around going, I got two free hips or a dad, mom or dad, it doesn't matter. I got two free hips. I've been a single mom for two weeks. So this is my new analogy. Keep going. <laughs> yeah. But, but it's amazing how the body works because you want most of the hormones to be bound. If most of it was the opposite where 99% was free and, and just a little bit was bound, again, we'd all be hyperthyroid in the case of thyroid hormone. So it's good that it's most of it's bound. But a lot of doctors don't look at the free hormone. So you do want to see what's actually in the circulation. And it's, free it's a ratio again. You want some bound and you want some mm -hmm. free, which yep. is a balance again. Okay. So that's exactly. T4. And how do we get T4? So T4, the reason it's called T4 is because there are four iodine molecules. And um it and then there's also so you need iodine, you need tyrosine, which is an amino acid. And T3 is the other, th there's actually more than T4, T3s. It's T1, T2, we, we still can't measure in the blood. So we typically measure T4, T3. T3 has the three iodine molecules. And T3, specifically free T3, is the active form of thyroid hormone. So the thyroid gland produces some T3, but mostly T4. So you need to convert the T4 into the T3. And then it's actually the free T3 that binds to the receptors. And that's what, you know, causes all the wonderful changes that we have in our body. You know, all those different thyroid receptors throughout the body. It's really the free T3 that's important. That stimulates digestion and hair growth and nail growth and metabolism. Exactly. Of the um, hormones in the liver and all of the things. Okay. That's great. And where do we get um, T3 from? If, because our, our body doesn't make T3, so how do we make some, but how do we also receive T3? Yeah, so there's um, what's called a deiodorase, which is an enzyme that converts the T4 into T3. And there's actually three of these deiodorases enzymes. Um, 
And so the, the first two are what really converts T4 into T3. And then there's actually a third one, which converts T4 into what's called reverse T3. And I, we can talk about that. Reverse T3 is, there's some debate over really what reverse T3 does. It's, we'll say it blocks T3. Some will say it doesn't block T3. It does seem to block, like it does bind to the receptor. And it makes sense, like in hyperthyroidism, when you have too much thyroid hormone, you'll see crazy amounts of reverse T3, which makes sense because the reverse T3 will bind to the, to the receptor to prevent the T3 from binding to the receptor because in hyperthyroidism, you don't want any more T3. Increased metabolism, increased heart rate, increased um, perspiration, increase all the things, right? Your body's going too fast. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, you so your, your body wants to slow it down. Reverse yeah. T3, if it's high, the body's producing that to try to account for or regulate for the overstimulation, which is what we're going to talk about next, the cause that's creating the body to spin out all this T3. Exactly. I mean, it's a self-protective mechanism. I mean, we, we need, again, we need reverse T3. Some will say reverse T3 is bad. If you have too much, there's a reason for it. Why is it just like anything, just like we were talking about cholesterol. Why is cholesterol high? It's not bad because it's high. It's like, what's the cause of it being high? Uh, so yeah, it's, and yeah, we definitely could get into the different causes of this, but again, um, getting back to like hypothalamus pituitary before we get into like the causes, you know, it's again, it's like thyroid is important, but that communication is important. Just like what we think, well, I mean, I guess it is like, like chronic stress, for example, chronic stress, we know the impact chronic stress has, you know, uh, on, on the body itself. And it, definitely has an impact on that hypothalamic pituitary, you know, thyroid access or the HPT axis. There's many have, might have heard of the HPA axis, hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. Uh, but yeah, so it goes beyond the thought. So thyroid is important. The connection, the access means the connection between exactly. glands, organs that are producing information for the body to create harmony. In allowing our circadian rhythms to move forward in a appropriate, adaptable way. And I, I love what you're saying, Dr. Eric, and the fact that the body is never making a mistake, right? And he's saying the same thing. I have. The body is always trying to compensate. The body has, there's things in the body that's gotten bad rap. Sympathetic nervous system is bad. Why? It has protected me and gotten me here and allowed me to, but it is out of balance. That's what we're saying. It, nothing is good or bad in the body. The, we're not here to judge the body. We're here to figure out what the body's telling us. And as a functional doc, when you look at labs, for instance, what he's saying is don't just take the first layer and treat the first layer. Look deeper. Look underneath at the avalanche that's showing underneath that volcano that you're seeing at the top. Because all of the, I don't think that's the right analogy, but all the things below the volcano, whatever the hell that's called, underneath the ocean, that's the problem. And if you just look at lab work and you treat cholesterol, then you've not gone that further investigation. You go, okay, now the thyroid's off. That's the real issue. But then you got to keep looking deeper. Go, okay, why is the thyroid off? Because if the body's creating a lot of reverse T3, 
Well, it's doing it because there's a lot of T3 and it wants to bind the receptor sites and wants to slow down the metabolism because the heart's pounding too hard. The body's working too hard. The body is in stress and it's in this, it's shifted the gears because it's in fight flight mode too much. Okay, this is great. Okay, so now we understand T3, T4, reverse T3, the difference between TSH and I'll say it so he doesn't have to. If all your doctor's testing TSH, leave your doctor because they're clueless. Okay. He wanted to say that, but I'm not nice. He'll, I'm nice enough to say it. He's so nice. He won't say it. Okay. So, I'll also say too, even if they just test TSH and T4, you also want to at least speak up. If, if not leave the practice, at least tell the doc, hey, you know, wait, how about the T3? How about that active form of thyroid hormone? Because some doctors will test the T4, but that's true. again, you're still not getting enough information. And it doesn't take too much information, to be honest with you, and coaching from a medical doctor's perspective. You don't have to run out to an endocrinologist. This is like there's great functional specialists like Dr. Eric that know this information so that you can really dive deep. And I suggest you listen to his podcast and learn more about this because the more we're harnessed with the tools of information, we can start to really understand what the body is doing. And then we can understand what we're doing in our life to create the body to do that because the body's creating a compensation. And we're the reason it's compensating. Something we're doing is what it's compensating for, something we're exposed to. So we've got to realize that and realize the body is never making a mistake. We've got to be working with a team that is understanding that and willing to investigate to figure it out. Yeah, I've said it better. <laughs> okay, so T4, T3, we get TSH. This is great. Do you want to talk about the antibodies before we get into causative? Or as we get into causative, do you want to talk about antibodies? Yeah, so there's different, there's three main antibodies. And so we have what's called thyroid peroxidase antibodies or TPO antibodies. And what's the, what is thyroid peroxidase? So thyroid peroxidase is an enzyme that's important for the formation of thyroid hormones. And so those are the most common antibodies. And sometimes they could be extremely high. Sometimes they could be fairly high. And obviously you want to try to see them, see them within the lab reference range, well within lab reference range. And so there's the, those TPO antibodies, there's thyroglobulin antibodies. So thyroglobulin is a protein of the thyroid gland. And, and again, you could see, see those quite high as well. And then there's TSI, thyroid stimulating immunoglobulins, which the, those that you have, what's called a TSH receptor. And so those antibodies are related to the TSH receptor. And those are the antibodies that I had when I was diagnosed with Graves disease, hyperthyroidism. And uh, yeah, so those are the three antibodies. And, uh, you know, I know we were actually chatting a little bit prior to this about the autoimmunity and the, you know, like you talk about the cellular, um, you know, the cellular um, bacteria, like the cell wall deficient bacteria, the cell wall deficient bacteria, you know, so, um, you know, I, I will say this, I mean, there's just a lot we don't know about the body also. So there's a lot, you know, like with those antibodies, some will say, you know, that the antibodies need to be like completely normal. Others will say that, you know, like, don't worry as much about the antibodies as well as every, as long as everything else is, 
you know, looking good, everything else is in balance. The person is feeling good. I mean, you know, obviously we all want to have perfect tests and th don't get me wrong. I don't like to see the antibodies high, you know, uh, but you know, again, to me, it all comes down to trying to address the cost of the problem, just trying to find out. And we're definitely going to talk more about that. You know, why are those antibodies high? Why are the thyroid, um, hormones out of balance? And, uh, so yeah, I don't know if you want me to talk more about the antibodies, but I do. And I actually want you to just briefly talk about Graves disease because um, so many people are familiar with Hashimoto's or um, I think just they're more familiar with Hashimoto's than Graves. And I think Graves, when it's a very scary diagnosis, number one, um, when you and, and it often comes with what's known as a thyroid storm. So if you could talk about that a little bit, um, but this is definitely it plagues your heart it plagues a lot of the body and i'm sure honestly as a doc as a professional that was scary for you i mean as a chiropractor as a healthy looking and feeling professional i'm sure that was not a lack of stress moment but my question and from what i know with graves disease was there a period of extreme stress right prior to you being diagnosed yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because I kind of skipped over a lot of times I go a little bit deep into the story as far as when before I was diagnosed, I was dieting and detoxifying and uh, detoxifying. I was uh, overtraining. That was a big stressor. And so I was losing weight. I thought the weight loss and it probably initially it was due to some of the things I was doing, but then it kind of became extreme and so, yeah, I mean, it wasn't just emotional stress. I mean, that definitely was a factor, even though I was in denial and thought I was doing a good job of handling the stress. But looking back, I definitely was overtraining. I was overdoing it. And that is a big stressor. So, yeah, between the emotional stress and the physical stress associated with overtraining, I do think those were two big factors in the development of Graves. And I am so appreciative of you being so honest, first of all, because that's unusual, I find, in our industry for a practitioner to be truly following the store, to be like, looking back now, I realized I wasn't handling my emotions very well. Bravo. But number two, bravo for saying I was over-exercising, I was over-training. I went from an eating disorder to an overworking out disorder to a orthorexic, oh my God, this is only the foods I can eat and only the exercise I can do because I've learned all this medicine, to a biohacking wackadoo that did all the things to such an extreme and my regulation test kind of stayed. Like I, they got better to a certain point and then they just stayed <laughs> and they weren't getting, and then I felt like I was, and looking back, I was stressing my body out so much trying to live perfectly that in the last eight to 10 years, now where I'm at is more the flow, back to the balance, back to the fact that nothing is good or bad. We're not here to judge, but extremes are not what the body is meant to live in. And that I too, when I found this medicine, I was working out five, six hours a day, easily, in pain on a scale of 10, a 12, taking medication to handle the pain so I could continue to work out while well, I was really watching my diet because I was a vegetarian 
I stressed my body out so much that even though the physical ailment of the what caused the pain started to dissipate, I started to get other illness and symptoms and problems in my body because I was trying to be so extremely healthy. And I see this in our industry, if you will, which I don't really love calling this an industry. Y'all know that. I mean, we're talking about living healthy. Like, is that really an industry or is that called living? And we just have to be in this industry until all the humans figure out what we already know of and what we're here to teach you is how you can figure this out so you know how to live. Because life isn't, extremes are great and we can live there for a short amount of time, but life is about finding that balance. And so bravo, Dr. Eric. You're well, thank you. Yeah, it's authentic. again, it, it, at the time I, I didn't realize. But yeah, I mean, I wanted to share this just because, like you said, there are others that are, are suggested. Others are making that mistake. There's all these places. I don't want to name places, but places that encourage like high intensity exercise, maybe, you know, again, overdoing it. And and yeah, then there's I'm, I'm not against intermittent fasting. I do some intermittent fasting, but I think even that could be a stressor. Like people doing like twenty hour fast every single day and just going crazy with the with that as well. So yeah, you could take anything to extreme. Right. And the thyroid is to balance the extremes in life and to find and when we stress it out too much, it gets it swings the pendulum the other way and then it gets too slow or too fast. Exactly. So let's talk about hypothyroidism because I think a lot of people deal I, I don't know, honestly, you know more than I do. What's more common, hyper or hypo? Oh, yeah, definitely hypothyroidism is a lot more common than, than hyper. Slower thyroid versus faster. Okay. Exactly. So let's talk about hypothyroidism. So what is happening physiologically there? We know with what's happening in hyperthyroidism, it's all overstimulated. Can you explain physiologically the opposite? Yeah. So it goes again, that TSH, remember TSH is the pituitary hormone. So it gives the signal to the thyroid gland. So let's speed it up or let's slow things down. So in the case of hypothyroidism, you have, you have elevated TSH. And the reason why you have that elevated TSH is because you have that low thyroid hormone. So it's the, the low thyroid hormone and again, we could talk about causes because what causes the low thyroid hormone, but for whatever reason, you have the low thyroid hormone and then pituitary gland says, okay, we have too much thyroid hormone here. So we have to slow things down. So it signals to the thyroid gland. You know, we have that elevated TSH, which means that we have, uh, did I say we slow things down? It's the opposite. So with, with thyroid, we want to speed that we want to have more thyroid hormone love. Yeah. I, I see a lot of people with hyperthyroidism too. So so it's yeah, what low thyroid hormone, TSH is saying, hey, we need more thyroid hormone. It's trying to not... stimulate because remember, it's thim exactly. yep. stimulating hormones. Yeah. So it's trying, it's yeah. the pituitary is going, the thyroid's too slow. Send more stimulating hormone. You got it. Yeah. Send more. I, I'm, I just dumb it on exactly. all Exactly. No, I, no, that's awesome. <laughs> this is how I see the body. The pituitary yeah. yelling at the <laughs> Send it out. I need more for the thyroid gel and its material. I need more. Yeah. So then, the, well, it depends on if has the cause been addressed. Because again, if the body's not in a situation where it could produce, like if someone is, let's just talk about one of the causes, let's say endocrine disrupting chemicals. Someone is like drinking bottled water on a daily basis, you know, a lot, plenty of, Diet you know, they buy the, 
Yeah, exactly. Or, yeah. But a anything in a plastic bottle, again, or you, you know, I mean, there's other sources of plastics. And again, if that's disrupting the thyroid gland, and again, TSH, like you said, it's going to scream at the thyroid gland. We need more thyroid hormones, so it's going to stimulate it. But if you got that blockage in the endocrine dis disrupting chemicals and you're not doing anything to address the cause of the problem, then again, it's not going to, you're, you're going to get, you're still going to have lower thyroid hormones. Again, the free T3, free T4, uh, maybe even the total thyroid hormones might be low too. And again, that's the thing. They might be on the lower side. They might be within the lab range, but less than the optimal range on the thyroid panel. And so the, and that's where, again, the do doctor might blow it off. But yeah, you'll get that elevated TSH and typically low or subclinically low thyroid hormones. And is that, like with hyperthyroidism, often it's missed because they're having symptoms like the high heart rate or... Uh, and they're going to another specialist and they're just treating that symptom, never looking at the thyroid. With hypothyroidism, is it similar where people are looking for symptoms like fatigue and constipation? They're going to specialists that are just treating symptoms and nobody's ever looking at hyperthyroidism? Or do you find that hypothyroidism is found a little easier? Oh, it's actually the opposite. Typically, hyper is found quicker because if someone someone's having a heart rate of 100 beats per minute and they're losing weight, having tremors, you know, they're more likely to, the medical doctor's more likely to take it seriously and say, okay, you, you, like, because you could measure that. You, they could do the vital signs and see, okay, this person has a resting heart rate, 100 or 120 beats per minute. Definitely need to do something. You mentioned thyroid storm, which we, we could talk about. So yeah, the medical doctors will almost definitely take action. But if someone comes in and like, oh, I'm, gaining weight, I'm tired, you know, constipated, you know, well, fatigue admittedly can be related to other my hair too. a little bit. My nails yeah. are fragile. Just generally yeah. a little brain fog. These are the common symptoms of hypothyroidism, which coincidentally, I just want to mention they're the same symptoms of lymph congestion. Keep going. Yeah. So, I mean, People could go years without being diagnosed because a lot of times the medical doctor, especially if the person just brings up the fatigue and let's say the weight gain, they might say, oh, you just need to exercise more, you know, eat better. And a lot of times they won't even say that. They won't even go into the diet, but they'll say, you know, well, just, you know, maybe be more active and, you know, just, yeah, I mean, again, they'll just blow it off essentially. And we'll, I mean, maybe again, they'll run the TSH, but that goes back to where TSH might be within the range because it could take years before that TSH gets to where it's out of the optimal range. But if it's within that lab range, you know, and again, as long as it's not above, like it depends on the lab, like 4.5 or 5. But yeah, to get back to the original question, hypothyroidism, I mean, some people could be like 10, 15 years before it's diagnosed. Um, just because, again, like they just blow off the symptoms because a lot of people in general experience fatigue. It's subclinical. Yeah. It's subclinical. And that's why I do more regulatory testing and do bioregulatory medicine from the perspective that if I wait for the blood markers to go off, there's been a problem brewing for years and years because the body's job is to compensate. And we're going to talk about next the the causes that cause the thyroid to go off because the body's trying to compensate for all those. And it takes chronically chronic 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 problems before the blood actually shows a problem 
because the body's trying to balance the whole time. It's doing its best job to do it always. It's doing its best job for you. And then it gets to the point where it's like, I can't do it anymore. My mechanisms that were like band-aiding all this are tired. I can't do it anymore because the real mechanism that's supposed to be happening is broken. Right. And I, and I can fix it. I can duct tape it. I can do all these things. But at some point I do that for long enough and it's just going to break. It's just not going to hold up. And that's when now they're diagnosed because now the blood is showing there's a problem. But what I'm saying and Eric as well, that there's all of this stuff going on in the body prior to there being a lab problem, which is why you want to look at the optimal levels of your function, which is why functional practitioners look at the optimal ranges, not within range, but the optimal ranges, and that we can shift that metabolism and it will change, change those change, make those changes knowing that the body is active and it's appropriately responding. So if I exercise more and I increase my activity, then my metabolism should change. If I increase my activity, my metabolism doesn't change, then the doctor should find out why not <laughs> and not wait six years to go, well, gee, you started exercising three days a week and you haven't lost any weight? Huh, that's weird. <laughs> One thing I should add with optimal range is, obviously this goes for anything. Like if you do any type of lab, CBC with differential, you know, they'll look at and see what's red flag. They won't look, see, well, you know, you have this value on the lower side or on the higher side. You know, we see this with iron panel, like ferritin, you know, might be a 15, which depending on a lab reference range might be okay. But the, again, that's you know, at least in my opinion on the lower side. So, so yeah, with any test, if something's on the upper end or lower end, you want to pay attention to it. Whereas the doctor is not going to pay attention to it unless there's a little H or a little L, you know, high or low on the lab reports. Yeah, definitely same thing. Obviously, and you're also looking at if this is on the border and this is on the border, then that will infer that this marker over here is actually having a problem, even though it looks like it's in range. Because I know so many practitioners that do that. I mean, I'm not skilled at that, but I know a lot of functional practitioners can infer what's happening because they've watched the patterns and they know what's going to happen if we don't do something about it. Cause these are like the predictors of this other marker going off. So when you're looking at optimal functional ranges, they're looking at more than just these line items. They're looking at the whole picture and what it's presenting versus just looking at like, that's in the red, this is in the green, this is in the red, this is in the green. That's a simplistic way to look at it. Again, I meant the surface versus the deeps. Okay. So let's talk about causative agents. Why, in your expertise, in your work, what do you find from a thyroid issue, primarily thyroid, as we're talking about? What are the causes? Yeah, I wish I could say there's one single cause, but- Wouldn't that be great? Does, yeah, it does seem to be multiple causes. So, I mean, we mentioned a few of them so far. We mentioned stress. We spoke about stress being a factor in our body- was designed to handle acute stress situations, but it's the chronic stress on a day in, day out basis. Or again, we also spoke about our own overtraining experiences, overdoing it in, at the gym and all that. So, so yeah, whether it's physical or emotional stress or over time, that will take its toll on the body, including the thyroid and you know, also the adrenals and the sex hormones. So really not just the thyroid, but really all the hormones it all impacts. So there's stress, 
you know, I mentioned, I gave an example of endocrine disrupting chemicals, like in plastic water bottles, that there are other chemicals as well. There's heavy metals such as mercury that could impact the thyroid. And uh, the, again, so where do we get exposed to these chemicals? We get exposed through the food we eat. I mentioned the water we drink. We get exposed through the cleaners and cosmetics that we use in our own home. Uh, so those could impact the, the thyroid glands. And uh, again, we're in, in a... Can we talk about for a second, because this is something that's been present to me in the last few months. So plastics, let's just, you guys, heavy metals and chemicals I've been talking about for years. Plastics, and not talked a lot about, but from a lymph perspective, um, Dr. Beth Dupree, who's a breast surgeon that's worked in around my world for a long time, she's the one that first brought my attention to this because every breast tumor she took out had plastics in it. Dr. Caratola, the biological dentist that I work with, I thought I knew all the things that could go wrong in your dentistry. It's really started talking about a lot of the white fillings are plastic. I'm like, oh my God. Then we start talking in this last six months to a year, my husband and I, it's the clothes that people are wearing because I don't wear anything but natural fibers, cotton mostly. I can't wear wool. It makes me sweat too much. Um, and I found out recently that bamboo is so overprocessed that I stopped buying bamboo clothes because even though they were natural fiber and soft and often organic, look up how to get to bamboo clothing and the chemical process to break down bamboo fiber that it takes. It's ridiculous. And that's up against your skin. But there had so many women listening to this with thyroid issues or going to their yoga classes and they're doing all their things and they're wearing those darn yoga pants that are plastic that are whether I'm going to throw them right under the bus, the Lululemons and the Athletias and all of them. And I recently, and I've known this for six or seven months, but I will also be honest and say, it's hard to open up your drawer and take out the hundred dollar pants that you've been wearing for a couple of years, all seven of them and throw them out because now you know that they're full of plastics. So I didn't do it. And I just stopped wearing them as frequently as I wanted. Then all of a sudden, I put them on because it got cold here the last couple months. And I put them on at night instead of my flowy pants two nights in a row. And I couldn't stop itching. Now, is it conscious because I know what the hell's going on that I'm putting on these pants? Or is it that they're so old that they're breaking down and I'm feeling it more? I don't know. But I threw them all out and I went and bought cotton leggings, organic cotton leggings. And the difference that I feel at night with, I was starting to get a little more restless leg at night, which I haven't had in years. I started having hot flashes, which I thought was menopause. And it could be menopause, but I've noticed a difference, a huge difference by just not wearing these yoga pants. And I go out to Target or Wegmans to go grocery shopping. And I look around and I'm telling you, 70% of the women are wearing these pants as our casual pants all day long. And I'm begging you, ladies, look at your labels. And men, I had a man on my table yesterday who's wearing Lululemon pants and Lululemon underwear. And I'm like, they're completely toxic. You've got to stop wearing them because that plastic is seeping into your skin. So it's not just about what we're ingesting. It is what we're putting on our skin. And the plastics are a big problem for the thyroid. And I think clothes and what we're wearing is a problem that we're not really looking at that is a problem because that 
uh, microfiber that a lot of people wear, that really soft, fluffy stuff. I can't even touch it because it makes me like nails on a chalkboard because I feel it in my body. It is so toxic, y'all. I just, I mean, I'm going off on Eric's podcast here, but this, uh, the plastic piece that you bring up is hugely important that we've never really talked about. So thank you for letting me diverge. Yeah, no, that that was awesome. Thanks for sharing that. And yeah, I mean, you're right. We don't think about the clothes we're wearing. We don't think about the mattress we're sleeping on for six to eight hours per night, the off-gassing and all that. I mean, that can't have any effect on our health, right? We were all in, a, in, a, in bed for hopefully seven, eight hours per night. Uh, so yeah, we, we tend to overlook sometimes what should be the obvious. Yeah, while we're out there buying all the organic food and taking the 17 pills and yet we're sleeping in organic mattresses and organic and you know, sleeping in toxic mattresses with toxic clothes on. So, and that's our biggest exposures. So, yeah, that's good. Okay. Sorry, sidetrack. So, other causes. So, we got metals, we have chemicals. Uh did you say anything else yet? No, I don't think so. Uh, well, I mean, food, you know, food potentially could could be a problem. I mean, due to the chemicals, there's a lot of controversy with gluten uh, having an impact directly on the thyroid and or the impact of gluten on the gut, as well as other food allergens such as corn, which is in everything that's gluten free. So if you're gluten free and avoiding the gluten, you might be eating a lot of corn that's having probably genetically modified and full of mercury that's all another story okay keep going that is that is true the the gmos so that's yeah that exactly that's another topic so yeah there's the food there's the stress there's the chemicals so those are our three three potential causes uh some cases infections again another controversial area like you know certain viruses you know whether it's the most recent virus you know we dealt with or epstein-barr or cytomegalovirus and you know, even bacteria, Lyme disease. I, I dealt with chronic Lyme and thankfully it did throw my thyroid off. But again, a lot of controversy with the the impact, potential impact of infections and thyroid health. So that could be another, uh, another cause. I mean, those, I talk about categories of triggers and those are really four of the main ones. I mean, there's others that fall within those like mold, toxic mold, you know, is you know, falls within those categories as well. And that could be overlooked as well. And I mean, estrogen problems with metabolizing estrogen, which, you know, that, I mean, it's, um, some use the word estrogen dominance and again, estrogen gets a bad rap, but again, just like we were talking about, it's all about balance. There's no good or bad hormone, but if you have, you know, sluggish detox systems and, you know, problems with lymphatics and all this going on, Again, you're not going to clear out toxins. You're not going to clear out the hormones like you should, you know, so those potentially also could have impact on the thyroid. So I would say, I mean, stress is huge and the chemicals. If I had to choose two, and again, food falls in that category, but again, food, the chemicals and food also go together as well. You know, the plastics, you know, also not only the, the water bottles, but fish, like all seafood, the microplastics and all that. You know, it's so we could people talk about the heavy metals, like oh, the heavy metals in you know, um, and fish. But how about all the plastic and PCBs in the seafood we eat as well? And it's a catch twenty two because they're definitely nutrient dense, and we need those vitamins and minerals. And we want to get as much as we can from the food, but it's a little bit of a dilemma because we're getting exposed to all these toxins. So yeah, I, I would say those are the three. I mean, even going back to the viruses, to me. 
you know, whatever your perspective on viruses is, it's still more of an immune system problem than a virus problem. It's still more of a, you know, toxin problem, a food problem, a stress problem. So when someone says, you know, oh, I have a problem with Epstein-Barr, you know, whatever your thought about Epstein-Barr, to me, it's still not, okay, let's, the goal is not to treat Epstein-Barr necessarily. Um, and again, I was guilty of that in the past, you know, oh, we see Epstein-Barr, let's put someone on an antiviral protocol. And, um, and I'm not saying there's not a time and place for that, but if that's all you do and you're not reducing their toxic burden, if you're not cleaning up their diet, if you're not mat doing things to improve stress handling, then you could take all the herbs or homeopathy or whatever for Epstein-Barr, these other viruses and, you know, bacteria, you know, so again, I mentioned these microbes as being triggers, but you know, they're part of our, I mean, most of them are part of our environment. And again, it's real. The main reason they're problems is because of all the other facts that we talk about, the toxic burden and the food we eat and the stress that we are dealing with these days. I agree with you 100% that never is it one thing causes one thing. It's always multi-causational. And like you, if you go after anything with the perspective like, oh, I'll do this one thing to treat it and that'll be it, then you're missing the boat and you got to come after it in many different ways. But before you do that, you got to get a sense of what you're actually looking at. And that's where I want people to reach out to you potentially and do their lab testing and whatever is needed to get a good sense of what am I looking at? Because facts, knowledge is helping us give information so then we can make a decision about how to take a proper step to address it. And like you with EBV, particularly, like you can treat EBV all day long, but the first thing that feeds EBV is stress. It eats adrenaline. So like if you haven't handled the stress, you're going to have to be dependent upon taking your EBV protocol for the rest of your life. <laughs> if you have silver fillings in your mouth and you're not willing to get rid of them, amalgam fillings, and you do a detox protocol, which I don't recommend, by the way, if you have if you have silver fillings and just as an analogy, then you're never going to be able to stop getting having to do the detox protocols because it's still in your mouth leaking. Same with EBV. Why do you have EBV? Because you don't know how to manage your stress. <laughs> so when you learn how to manage your stress, well, let's not manage. I don't really. When you learn how to compensate for stress, positive and negative, working out and being in balance and having actual homeopathic. Uh, um, homeostasis in the body it's homeopathic in the body homeostasis in the body then the body can compensate for all of this stuff and then it doesn't drop these balls and that's what you know you did such a masterful job at explaining the basics of thyroid i really appreciate it what let me first of all where can they find you and what advice do you have for anybody that's sitting home listening to this and they have either one of two things like yep i've gone down the path if i've invested my thyroid it's definitely off. And what do I do? Do you have any programs or any things that you would recommend for clients with thyroids that are off? And number two is if this is brand new for them, they're like, huh, I've never really looked at my thyroid. Where would you start? As far as what they could do on their own, I mean, definitely you want to start with the basics. You want to clean up your diet. You want to do things to better adapt to the stress in your life. You want to do things to decrease your toxic burden. I mean, there's, again, you could just change the the, chem, the, the products you use in your home. Stop drinking out of plastic water bottles. Uh, again, eat, try to eat organic, whole healthy foods, non-GMO foods, which if it's organic, it's going to be non-GMO. Uh, might still have glyphosate, but 
<laughs> but that's another story. But uh, yeah, just again, there's a lot you can do on your own. Uh, and then, yeah, just I would say, I mean, it's not a bad idea to go to a medical doctor initially if you want to get some some testing and diagnostics. But as Kelly and I discussed, just be prepared. They probably won't do the testing that you really need. They're not going to dive deep into, you know, what's what's going on and 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 yeah. So you so I would obviously I'm biased and I would say to work with the functional medicine practitioner. It doesn't have to be with me. I mean, if you want to learn more, yeah, you could visit my podcast, uh, SaveMyThyroid.com, and check out my podcast. And I have a couple of books on hyperthyroidism um, and and hypothyroidism that you can find on on Amazon. Uh, so again, definitely check those out. I have a, offer a lot of free events. Uh, yeah, but again, ultimately, if you're going to work one-on-one -on -one with someone, in addition to your medical doctor, probably a good idea to work with a functional medicine doctor who will look at these, uh, look into all these different causes, and will do more than just say, you know, take this pill. Again, there's a time and place for thyroid hormone replacement there, which is typically given for hypothyroidism. There's a time and place for antithyroid medication uh, for those with hyperthyroidism. But if that's all they're doing is just say, take this pill and that's it. And let's do another blood test, you know, every six months or every year, you know, something's wrong. So you want to, and, and just be prepared for them to say that there's, we don't know what the cause is and that diet's not going to make a difference. I mean, I hear it all the time. Well, I asked my endocrinologist, you know, if changing my diet's gonna make a difference. And yeah, oh no, definitely will not. So again, be prepared. Don't even ask that question because that's the response you're gonna get. So yeah, the best advice I could say is, again, make those diet and lifestyle changes on your own. And then, yeah, probably a good idea to work with a functional medicine practitioner, whether it's me or someone else. And again, yeah, if you wanna check out the podcasts and books, just, uh, you know, just gain some more knowledge beyond what, you know, we chatted about, that's great. But yeah, those are some of the, some of what I would recommend for anybody deal with, whether it's hyper or hypothyroidism. And we'll put all of um, Dr. Eric's links in here, but I also want to bring everybody's attention to the fact that like, if you have, if you've already gone down this path a little bit, let's say you've investigated your thyroid a little bit and you know a little bit, Definitely start working with a practitioner like Dr. Eric or myself or whoever it, you, align, you align with because I agree with that. Don't go to a medical doctor and ask them for wellness advice and nutrition advice. They didn't know it. They didn't study it. Seek out a practitioner that's created their expertise to find every while they see Eric understands the whole picture. But he put his expertise on the thyroid. You go, okay, there's a whole thing going on here, but I want to know everything I can about the thyroid so that when somebody walks into my world, my virtual world or my brick and mortar practice, then, and they've got all these issues, I can really know if this is thyroid issue because he sees it as, I don't want to say pandemic because that kind of makes people crazy, but it's a problem. Thyroid, I mean, like I said, when I started interviewing people on the phone 20 years ago, Finding out if they should be a client or not, about 20% of the people said they had a thyroid problem, condition, issue. To this day, as I go through the protocol, if they don't mention that they have a thyroid, I'll ask because I'm like, well, I'm sure you've been diagnosed with a thyroid problem, right? Because it's more than 80% of our client base walking into our door has already had some kind of thyroid dysfunction situation. 
And this is why we chose Eric as the first one in 140 episodes to highlight a, an organ, not a system, and a gland, really, it's not a gland, to so that you can start to understand. But there's so much more to talk about with a thyroid because we haven't talked about like, okay, what's the difference between Synthroid and Armour Thyroid? And why would you compound things? And can you reverse it and get off of medication? But I can bet you this. Get his two books, and all the information is going to be in there, and you can start to learn about it. Oh, and look at what he's doing. Well, well, if you're not well, watching, me... please watch Dr. Eric. I love what he just did. Yeah. One thing I wanted, because I wanted to say this, not not just to show off the your flow vibe, but again, you'll never, like, if you ever told an endocrinologist, a conventional medical doctor about the lymphatics yep. and flow vibe, again, they would laugh at you. So, and that's, that's why also with the great, most functional medicine doctors will be open-minded. Like again, when Kelly told me about the flow vibe and the lymphatic, I mean, again, she just like gave so much value. Definitely check out her, her interview as well, or my interview, my, me interviewing her. But again, when she told me about this again, like if, if I was a medical doctor, I'd probably be like, ah, you know, that's uh, hokey. And, uh, but you know, my response was like, I'm going to get one. And, you know, she might've been like, ah, he's just saying that, but I'm telling you, I went right away. I, I, I got the flow vibe. I got the master class. And then when I got it, I mean, I, I still haven't completed as a recording this. Um, I just have had this for, I think, less than a week. So I've been through like half the master class and I've been going through it along with you on the master class. So again, yeah, definitely. I got to say some great things about the flow vibe so far. Um, you know, but I, I'm bringing this up again, just to show you that, you know, by working with a functional medicine practitioner, and again, not, not necessarily me, but anyone Again, they're going to be open-minded to things you bring up, whereas with a medical doctor, they just have their own paradigm and they're just, again, you're, you're not going to really get anywhere. So I just wanted to mention that. I think it's a great point. I appreciate that. I know this will probably be launched in 24. And I want to say that what I've seen, you know, because I'm always bringing it back to astrology and the bigger picture and where we're at in life and all the things. I'm an Aquarian. We are entering the age of Aquarian and we're going to be in it for 248 years. So get the freak ready if you're not. And what the age of Aquarian is about is taking responsibility for yourself, sovereignty, and having inner peace and wisdom. It is time for you to take responsibility for your own health and ask the questions and work as a collaborator with your practitioners. I don't expect my clients, and I'm sure Dr. Eric doesn't either, that they're showing up and I'm going to fix all their problems. That's an allopathic model. It doesn't work. We're here to invite you to look at the things that we know are contributing to what your symptomology is, but we can't fix you. We can facilitate your body fixing itself, but you've got to do the behavioral changes that cause you to live a different life which means your exposures are different, your stress is different, therefore your mechanism and your metabolism change. Because we can't fix you, but we can facilitate your body fixing itself because that's what we know. And what we in alignment with 100% is we know that what's inside of you is all you need. That's the best doctor and physician you got. So I invite you all to dive deep in. And what he said was ask the questions, but don't be blown out of the water when they give you an answer of medicine or surgery because that's what they studied go to practitioners that have studied wellness if you want to live well studied function if you want to function well 
think about what you're doing and be conscious. So Eric, this is, Dr. Eric, this has been an amazing, deep conversation about the thyroid. I truly appreciate your time, your expertise, your knowledge, your willingness, your openness, and our newfound friendship. And I can't wait to hear all about how it goes with the flow vibe. Is there anything else? Oh, give them your website, if you would. Actually, I have two websites. So Save My Thyroid is related, tied into the podcast. So SaveMyThyroid.com. And then naturalendocrinesolutions.com. That's my original website from 2010, where I have hundreds of articles on hyperthyroidism, hypothyroidism. So if you prefer to read, visit naturalendocrinesolutions.com. If you prefer to listen to the podcast, visit either savemythyroid.com or just go to your favorite podcast platform and type in Save My Thyroid. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you so much. Is there anything else you want to share with the community today before we close up and I give you the greatest hug virtually and, and gratitude for your time today and this information? Oh, that that is it. I guess I'll just, you know, again, just remember there's hope. You know, that's what any health condition, which I'm sure you've learned a lot over the, all the other episodes, you know, with Kelly and thyroid is no exception. There's always hope to, and again, some cases might be more complex than others, but never give up. And yeah, definitely go beyond your medical doctor. Perfectly stated. Thank you so much. And thank you all for listening to the end. And if this resonated with you, if this felt incoherence in your body, take this information, move forward. Feel free to share it if you would like. And I truly, from my heart and our hearts to yours, don't give up hope. Love you. Thank you for joining me on today's episode of Flow. If you took something from today's show, please make sure you subscribe and share it with a friend. I want you to step away empowered, enlightened, and having an increase in value and your vibration, knowing that your body has the innate ability to heal so that you can attain true wellness. Thank you, and we'll see you on the next episode of Flow.